The church has given us what may appear to be rather strange readings for this being Trinity Sunday. Strange in the sense of, well, it doesn't really seem to talk about the Trinity, at least in a way that kind of unpacks the meaning of this central but really difficult Christian doctrine. The doctrine of God, the teaching of who God is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and what this means. Instead, we get that well-known story between Jesus and Nicodemus on the rooftop at night in Jerusalem having a bit of a conversation with each other. And more, maybe, perhaps, interestingly, we get a reading from the apocalypse of St. John the Evangelist, the Revelation, where John, as Phil read, is given an image of some rather fantastic and even strange things. A heavenly throne, so bright with light that the light around it refracts and reflects into rainbows and jewels and glass, and it's just absolutely phenomenal. But then this whole thing about heavenly beasts with six wings with eyes all over them, it sounds like something out of a Guillermo del Toro movie. You ever seen The Life of Pan or Hellboy, parts one and two? So he's a director that's known for really vivid, almost disturbing imagery. And so when I hear the story uh, that John tells of his revelation, it brings to mind some of those beasts and creatures that, um, that del Toro is known for creating. But there is wisdom in why the church has assigned these readings for Trinity Sunday. And I think that comes to, the reason why it is becomes, it comes, it's because of the crux of the conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus. Where Nicodemus says to Jesus, how can these things be? And Jesus says, how can you not know? You see, because what we have in John's revelation is that God has revealed to John something that is impossible for our human minds to wrap their heads around, our heads around. What was it? The fullness of God in his eternal heavenly glory. How can any of us wrap our heads around the concept of God, let alone the full reality of who God is? But John is told to write these things down. So he has to try to give an account of something that is more than the human imagination could ever come up with. It's reality in the fullest sense of what it means, of what reality is. So John, a creature bound by time and space, has to try to give sense, an account of something that is beyond all human reason and imagination. So he's given this glimpse and he has to write it down. And so we know what happens when people tend to read the book of Revelation. What tends to happen is people get really far-flung theories and ideas about the end of the world. And, spoiler alert, most of those predictions fail spectacularly. But that misses the whole point of what the book of Revelation is ultimately about. The book of Revelation is ultimately about the worship of God's people in heaven, joined with God's people in earth, the saints who have gone on to their heavenly reward, all of creation standing around the throne of God in the fullness of who God is, worshiping holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. 
Sound familiar? It's something we sing at every service of Holy Communion. We'll sing it this morning. The Sanctus, the Holy, Holy, Holy. That triple holy indicating the fullness of who God is in God's self. The full reality of God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So John is not trying to give us an explanation of the end of the world. He's not trying to pin down anything that would give us kind of tangible evidence of the reality of God. What he is doing is testifying to the worship of God's people joined around the throne to give praise and honor to the God of God's. And it's not something you can wrap your head around, and that's exactly John's point. You see, because when you can understand it, it's not God you're talking about. The original and maybe default temptation and sin of humans is to create God in our own image. To create a God that we can understand. A God that checks off all the boxes of what we think God should be like. A God who holds all the same opinions that I happen to hold. Because I like a God that agrees with me. I like a God in my own image. Because wouldn't you know it, he kind of tends to look like me. And in our age, our human age, the age of human history, we have been trying to do this over and over and over again. To create a God in our own image, a God who responds to our needs. A God who is like a personal valet. Why? Well, partly is to be rid of God. If I can manage God, if I can contain God in some kind of conceptual mental apparatus, then it's easy to control God. I can put God in a box and put him on the shelf and just take him out when I need him. And when I don't need him, I can just put him away. Or to make myself into a God. As I said, when we make God in our own image, he tends to look like the person in the mirror. But we like that God. My kingdom come, thy kingdom go. My body, my life, my freedom. Because I am God. And no one else is going to tell me how I'm going to live my life. But when we think we can wrap our heads around God, we're not talking about God. And that's precisely the point of John's revelation to us, is that God is more than we can think or imagine. It's not to say we shouldn't use our minds in the service of exploring who God is, but it's to say at the end of the day, we can never put that final point on it and say, aha, I've understood God in the fullness of God and the mystery of who God is. I've come to the conclusion. And that's kind of what's going on in our gospel reading here, too. We have this meeting between Nicodemus and Jesus, two rabbis facing it off. But they're not on equal footing. Nicodemus is not just a rabbi, a teacher. He is the teacher of teachers. He's the teacher of all Israel. He's like the highest ranking guy you could have. He's the one who teaches the teachers. He's the professor to the professors. He's the one who's dedicated his whole life to the study of the Hebrew Scriptures 
And if anyone can call themselves an expert, it's Nicodemus. He's got this God guy figured out pretty well. And so Nicodemus comes to Jesus, rabbi to rabbi, to find out more about what's going on with this Jesus fellow. This itinerant rabbi from Galilee, of Nazareth of all places. Does anything good come from Nazareth? Certainly not a religious scholar. And so Nicodemus comes under the cover of night, where no prying eyes can see. We know that Jesus gets often confronted in broad daylight by Pharisees and Sadducees trying to win points, to score points against Jesus, to make him look like a fool. And of course, we know what happens. They often end up looking like fools themselves. But Nicodemus is a bit more shrewd, a little bit more careful. I'm going to do it by night. I'm going to give Jesus the benefit of the doubt to ask him the questions I have for him so that I can hear him directly rabbi to rabbi. And so Nicodemus goes and meets with Jesus. And Nicodemus identifies Jesus as a rabbi, as a teacher. He doesn't say, so you think you're a rabbi, well, let me tell you a thing or two about what it means to be a rabbi. No, he acknowledges him as a rabbi. We know that you come, that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these things unless he is sent from God, that God is with him. So Nicodemus is basing this on his years of theological training. This Jesus fellow, there has to be something about him, because otherwise he wouldn't be able to do the things that he does. God must be with him in some way. It's me, my job as the teacher of teachers, to find out what it is. So that's kind of the introduction. He's... Nicodemus is flattering Jesus a little bit, but he's also inquiring, you know, how is it that you can do these things? What is your relationship to the God of Israel? But isn't it just like Jesus to not answer the question that he's asked? Jesus just responds to him, kind of cutting through the quick, okay, enough with the flattery. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Huh? Nicodemus is thinking, this, this is not what I came for. I'm just here on like a fact-finding mission, and you're going to respond to me with this? I don't know what this means. This concept of being born again is not something that I'm familiar with, and I've studied the Hebrew Scriptures quite thoroughly. Nicodemus says, how can a man be born when he's old? Well, it seems to be the right question, right? Like, to be talked about born again, Nicodemus is saying, I'm an old man. I don't understand what you're saying. I'm supposed to climb back into my mother's womb. She's dead and gone and be born again. It's ridiculous, right? There's, there's the subtext here is that there's like kind of this disbelief, almost this laughter, like, what? I came here rabbi to rabbi and you're going to tell me jokes? This doesn't make any sense. How can he enter a second time into his mother, mother's womb and be born again? He's stuck on the literal meaning of Jesus's words. And Jesus doubles down, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Water and spirit. Well, we look back on these things and we say, well, yeah, that's the sacrament of baptism. We get Jesus. How can this guy, this Nicodemus, who's been studying God and God's word for so long, not get it? But of course, why would Nicodemus get it? Because he has not yet accepted the truth of who Jesus is. 
And so he says, how can these things be? I don't understand. Being born again by water and spirit? What? And then Jesus says, are you the teacher of Israel? Like, come on, you, you're an important guy. You're the guy that teaches the people that teach the rabbis. And yet you do not understand these things? How can you not get it? You, of all people, should be one of the first people to get it. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know. And he's kind of using the royal we there. He's saying, I'm telling you what I know because of who I am. I can say these things because I am not only sent by God, I am God incarnate. I have told you earthly things and you do not believe. I've talked about birth and you are stuck on the earthly literal sense. So how can I believe when I tell you that new birth is about what happens when you have a renewed relationship with God? Well, Nicodemus would say, but I know God. I've studied God my whole life. It's my career. And you're telling me I don't know a thing about God? And Jesus says, yeah. Yeah. Because the moment you think you've got God figured all figured out is precisely the moment when you've got it wrong. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that he who ever believes in him may have eternal life. This was the scandal, remember? This was something even the apostles, the original 12, could not wrap their heads around, would not accept that Jesus would be crucified and died, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. It's a hard thing for people that have God figured out to wrap their heads around. Worshiping a crucified God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus is telling Nicodemus, this is why I have come. If you can't wrap your head around the fact that God the Son is looking you here in the face eye to eye, then you will not understand anything that I'm about to tell you. If you think you've got God figured out, I'm here to tell you, brother, you don't. Now, we don't know how this interaction between Jesus and Nicodemus ends because it just moves on to the story of John the Baptist and Jesus of the woman of the well of Samaria. But I think if I could speculate that Nicodemus and Jesus parted as friends because most people that have an interaction with Jesus leave uh, changed in some way. It's not to say that Nicodemus then said, oh yes, Jesus, sign me up. I'm, I'm on board with what you're doing. I'm one of your followers. Good, we're done. We, I'm glad we got that settled out. No. Nicodemus probably left with the same questions that he had. And this is why John places a, the story of Nicodemus at the beginning of his gospel. We don't know exactly when in Jesus' ministry John, uh, Jesus and Nicodemus met but it doesn't matter. What matters is in this story, the way John tells it, it's at the beginning. Why? Because when we approach Jesus, we will come with questions. But that's where Nicodemus' life is so instructive. He comes to Jesus with questions. He thinks he has God all figured out, 
but he leaves with more questions than answers. And isn't that just like Jesus, to leave us with more questions than answers? Because sometimes we find false comfort in the answers that we have, especially when it comes to the answers of thinking we have God all figured out. But the story of Nicodemus doesn't end there. Because we run into Nicodemus again in the scriptures. Where? On Good Friday. Nicodemus is there with Joseph of Arimathea. And Nicodemus is brought with him basically a king's ransom worth of spices and oils to anoint the body of Jesus. And the tradition of the church holds it that Nicodemus, that teacher of teachers, that man who knows the scriptures inside and out, the one whose job is to know God and teach about God, has come to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. He's willing to set aside everything he thought he knew about God in order to receive that life that, God, that Christ has given him. It's a powerful story. But the same question is for us here today. Do we think we have God figured out? Does God happen to align with all of our preferences and political opinions and theological opinions? Or are we, letting, are we willing to allow Jesus to come in and challenge us on everything we thought we knew about ourselves and about God? May we follow that example of Nicodemus to set aside everything just to hear his word and his voice, to renew ourselves in his loving embrace, to find ourselves maybe with not more answers, maybe with more questions. But the answer is always to bring it back around to the, uh, the revelation of John. The answer is always worship. The worship of God as God comes to be with his people in sacred scripture and in the sacraments. The answer is always to the question of God is always holy, holy, holy Lord God of hosts. Heaven and earth are full of thy glory. Thanks be to God.